This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rusland, today we have two first timers on a bit of culture, but they're unafraid, and they should be unafraid. Uh, they are, he, well, number one, let's say, uh, Adil Johan. He's a research fellow with the Ethnic Studies Program at UKM. Adil. That's right. Great to have you here. Thank you, Cam. And we have also, he is an independent researcher and analyst, which is a job I'd love to have. He is Azif Azudin. Thanks for having me, Cam. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And our three topics this week will be, uh, topic number one is the relevance of Malaysian hip-hop, which is not my topic. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and topic number two is, I get all my news sources from Twitter. Am I doing it right? And finally, topic number three is bullet journaling. So let's begin with a topic that I, I'm going to be learning, uh, which is uh, Malaysian hip-hop. Adil. Yeah, thanks, Cam. I mean, I'll just tell you a little bit about how I got into it. Um, I've always been into music. I'm a musician. I'm a jazz musician by training. But when I studied music in Toronto, kind of like the hub of hip-hop now, um, I really got into hip-hop and underground hip-hop, instrumental hip-hop. Fast forward after a few years of doing research on Malaysian music, I spent a lot of time in the past. You know, I study historical stuff about Malaysian music from P. Ramli to the Alley Cats to Sheila Majid, right? But now, like I was doing, I was recently doing some research on Malaysian music and I noticed this huge, like Malaysian hip hop is huge. I mean, they're young uh, hip hop artists right now that are making waves both regionally, locally and internationally. Um, I came across this group called Force Park Boys. <laughs> Force Park Boys, they're, they're, they're a bunch of, um, I would, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm relative, I'm getting on in age, I'm, I'm 39 this year. So when I see quote unquote kids doing music, it's, it's a bit of, it's a jarring thing for me. Like, um, and these guys, they look really young. They look like they're in the, maybe in their 20s, I hope. Uh, and they've got 13 million views on their YouTube video. You know, as an independent music artist, like in Malaysia, that's a huge, you know, that's a huge feat. And these guys started off, they released a video during COVID in 2020. And it's just, it's just like 13 guys, well, young men, you know, rapping in their, in an apartment in JB, in Johor Bahru, and just talking about being young and avoiding the authorities and, you know, and, and partaking in, perhaps partaking in substances that are not that legal in Malaysia. Um, I mean, but that's, you know, that's like a hip hop theme, right? So um, I was thinking about this in terms of like, man, these kids are really brave. Sorry for calling them kids. These guys are really uh, brave to be able to do that. But I think that's kind of a reflection of the current music industry and creative industry, right? I mean, everything's on social media. Everything is on YouTube. Um, the government ain't going to cut you down because it's on YouTube. Well, MCMC can. Um, if they wanted to, but, you know, it's a subculture that is making waves both among youth. And I don't think a lot of people who are older, apologies uh, to us and our listeners. Uh, uh, I don't think a lot of people who are, who are in the more mature bracket, right, of culture consumers are that aware about the hip hop industry in Malaysia. Um, and man, I mean, we have to also remember that hip hop has been around for a long time in Malaysia. Uh, from the beginnings with KRU and Poetic Ammo. And, well, if you guys, you probably know Too Fat, 
I mean, Cam, you must have been around when Too Fat was, you know, up and coming. Uh, we've got Joe Flizzo, the president, the president of Malaysian hip hop, who's still doing it. Um, he just recently did um, a few years ago before COVID, or what I like to call BC before COVID. Um, he released uh, <laughs> he released this uh, YouTube series called Anamblas Baris, which is sixteen bars in English, um, and it featured a lot of up and coming new rappers just doing short rap so that he uh, set up in the in Joe barbershop and they shoot this video and these three three rappers would be sitting on the barber seats and then they come up and then they do a rap you know and and if he featured um young malaysians people from indonesia people from singapore and it was a really good platform this is something that i really support to showcase young women in hip-hop as well so we've got like a lot of talented women uh, in hip hop right now in Malaysia as well. So yeah, yeah. But can I clarify one thing? You you're talking about Malaysian hip hop. You're talking about Bahasa Malaysia hip hop. Exclusively exclusively BM. No, actually I mean Malaysia is a beautiful place, right? It's a diverse place, uh, especially linguistically. Uh, Malaysian hip hop is very unique camp because we have rappers that can rap in multiple languages. Uh, we've got hip hoppers that of course Bahasa Malaysia is the main local market right? Um, that's where you get your dollar-dollar bills from in terms of your market reach. Your market reach. Um, so the Malay market is huge, but a lot of Malaysian rappers also listen to American and African-American hip-hop, which is done in English. And we have a lot of rappers uh, who rap in Tamil, who are really breaking into, who have already broken into the Hollywood scene or the Tamil film scene. Uh, they're very popular over there. And they're, they're, they're very much sought after by, by filmmakers uh, and film soundtrack producers. And, sorry, Cam, I've got to mention this. I mean, we all know who Name We is, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, he kind of, for me, he's a very important, uh, what he did was a very important moment in Malaysian music history by coming out with a Chinese rap that was critical of the Malaysian state and it became very controversial, but that was actually a very important point in Malaysian media history in terms of social media, in terms of controversy and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Azif, please. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, Adil, um, I mean, sure. I'm not too familiar with Malaysian hip hop. I think I'm mildly familiar with Malik and I think I like to listen to Malik right. because uh, he reminds me of my favorite uh, African-American rapper, which is uh, Kendrick Lamar, right? Which is, right. so Kendrick Lamar has a lot of storytelling, poetic elements in his, uh, in his music. And I see the same thing replicated in Malik, but that makes me wonder actually what, what sort of songs, uh, actually what sort of poetry do Malaysian rappers go for? I mean, do they tell their life stories? Is it really about anti-authority or is it just about the high life and bling bling, which there is kind of, which American rappers do go into at times, right? They talk about the cars, about the women, uh, drugs and all that. So yeah, I'm curious, what are Malaysian ones? Man, if this was an SPM exam question, I would take all of the above, <laughs> right? Option number A, because I mean, is a hip hop is all about storytelling, so everybody has their stories to tell. In Malaysian hip hop, like Joe and Malik from Too Fat have really good stories. Um, so I love the song Apakabar, um, mm. and Joe actually talks about this epic breakup between Malik and himself. Um, and how they went their, their separate ways. So I think Apakabar is all about that, the, the artist's journey. So that happens a lot. You have to check out Aman Ra, uh, who I think has been doing a lot of good conscious hip-hop or what we call conscious hip-hop, which is kind of like a play on 
it's kind of a poetic play of words and concepts and ideas as well as his own narrative. And he talks a lot about the disenfranchised working class budak flats or flat kids. Oh. So he has, he has this kind of ongoing narrative theme in his releases called Budak Flat. You know, and he puts the, the, the theme, he's, he's, he's from the Malaysian streets or the Malaysian flats and he tries to rap um, those uh, working class Malaysian youths. Um, uh, Yogi B and Poetic Ammo rapped about uh, the injustices faced by Malaysian minorities, especially the Tamil community. And Namwe, who's no stranger to a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, you know, rapped about uh, the controversies of the Malaysian state uh, and, you know, how it affected minorities. minorities. Of course, you also have this kind of, um, what can we call it? That's gangster rap. So a lot, a lot of the new rap, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, talks about, uh, is, I, I call it flexing. So they're just, they flex about how awesome they are with a lot of, you know, with a lot of panache. Can I just ask you, Adil, very briefly, because we must move on. Um, you know, uh, rap is African-American rhythms. Absolutely, yes. And uh, Malaysia is not, well, it's not, I mean, it's not, has its own mm. sound. Is that reflected in or is that, are they just pastiches of African-American rhythms? Well, I mean, the source of rap is African-American culture and rhythms. Um, but the beauty about, about hip-hop, about hip-hop culture and hip-hop music is the ability to pastiche, the ability to juxtapose different, uh, to sample, to take different sounds. Um, so hip-hop culture, in a way, has lended itself to being a very global art form that has the ability to become localized, like be, being global and also localized. There's always a kind of tribute. I would say, I was thinking about this question, Cam, thank you. I mean, there's always, the, the question is cultural appropriation, right? Are people who are not, from who are not African-American or um, the question is, your question is more musical, right? Um, mm. I mean, hip hop is about diversity, I think, sonically, sonic diversity. So, um, and of course, there are also certain trends that become homogenized over time. So right now the trap sound is very big, you know, the really fast hi-hats go, you know, those kind of hi-hats. Uh, so that that's kind of like a thing, that's kind of a sonic trend. Um, but I mean, African-American culture is always going to be referenced in the, the slang in which rappers inflect. I think I would say that's like a tribute, um, but I hope there is more consciousness and awareness about the African-American struggle as well. I mean, that's a hope that I have, but, you know, these are things that are going to happen. Okay, well, uh, that's been an education for me. Uh, I got, oh, I feel, I, and I feel kind of, I don't know about you, but as if I feel a bit ashamed that I've, I've never thought about it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm not that familiar with Malaysian rap, so actually, this is this is quite enlightening for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, I'm going to ask producer Hanif if, if we can possibly play out with one. We should, we should, we should, and uh, and Adil, you will you will tell us later what that should be. Sure, absolutely. Okay, we're going to move on to topic number two, which is uh, my topic. So I, I get my news sources from Twitter now exclusively. Once upon a time, I would watch the TV news before you guys were born and it would be like one, once twice a day and then um newspapers and i would you know sit there and read through not realizing that i was being conditioned by the the the, the messages within the stories that they chose to put on their pages but now i don't think i visit well no i got i go to one news website i go to the guardian uh which always bombards me with things like you know you've read 50 guardian articles this year pay up and i i don't go to news sources unless uh twitter people on twitter i, I follow hundreds of people mostly sane some insane 
and they curate or they they choose. I, I allow them to choose for me what is the story worth telling. And, and I have to say, I mean, I do follow Malaysian news, but actually my consumption of Malaysian news has dropped dramatically. Ever since the Sheraton move, I'm like, <laughs> uh, very disenchanted there. So, I mean, I'm picking up on um, American and British news and all that kind of thing. Fascinating to see those. But it's, it's all through Twitter. And I'm just wondering, uh, what about you two? Where do you, where, who, who curates the news? Are you curating, curating it yourself? Do you go to websites? Are you choosing it? Are you, am I doing it wrong? Am I, should I, should I have a bit more agency in the way I do these things? As if, do, do you, where do you get your news? Yeah, I mean, I have a background as a journalist because I used to work BFM, right? Um, what I learned, I think, is that Twitter or social media is kind of great if you want to draw out what the main discussion of news are. So it, it kind of rises to the top. But because I always like primary sources, because I like to know what things are from the source, so I, I usually have like a daily, on a daily basis, I usually have like a list of news websites that I go to and I think it's less about knowing what the news are, but more on seeing how differently do different news outlets report it. Uh, but of course, I did a lot of this when I was a journalist because I wanted to synthesize the news, right? To understand what the main points are, what the main arguments are. But now, uh, ever since I left the media life and I'm in research, right, where I need to be more, say, more, more conscious of what I read because of the lack of time I have. Uh, now, I don't really read news as much. Uh, and whatever news I get is occasionally from me dropping into Facebook, kind of see people talking about this, what people are talking about in Instagram. I've left Twitter completely, I think because it just felt too much for me. But yeah, I mean, major news I get when people start talking about it uh, in either Facebook or, or Instagram. Uh, but mainly I try to decrease my stress by not actively looking out for news anymore. Yeah, yeah, very wise. I think that, that, that that's something that I've definitely felt as well. Uh, Adil, uh, your news gathering, are you, are you sensible like Azif? I mean, news is, news is stressful. I mean, I can totally relate to this kind of deletion of social media accounts. Um, I've been really bad with news lately. Like I've, I think I've kind of avoided news because of the level of noise and stress. Of course, if something becomes like, for example, I mean, we can't avoid WhatsApp now you know, and our messages. So sometimes people are going to send stuff. So like as if I also like my primary sources, like I like to verify before I react. And that's this, this problem of people reacting. So I will, I will find as many what I think are trust, trusted news sources, perhaps BFM, you know, like it's a pretty relatively, you know, reliable source of news. Um, I actually, listen, honestly, honestly, Cam, like, you know, no joke. I, because I drive a lot, I drive my kids to Tadika and things like that. I listen to BFM, like my wife and I, we tune in to the news at the hour for those, for those tidbits of news. So I think BFM actually has been my main source of news. And then if there's something I'm more interested in, I will go to the, the top Malaysian uh, news portals uh, to find out. Yeah. Well, the next step is when you get to the house, you get out of the car, you must go inside and the family sit around the radio <laughs> and, and listen to BFM as a family. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to say that one of the things that I've discovered b because I'm 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 choosing the people that I follow is that opinion is news, or rather, you know, news is opinion. That actually, what carries weight and what cuts through is is how people are selling the event and which which voices are 
clearer. I think that Trump, for instance, Donald Trump, I mean, moron that he is, there was a lot to learn about how he used Twitter, these short forms uh, that, that you would get to the kernel of the thing incredibly fast uh, without any prevarication or looking at both sides. And that's been an education, actually. I mean, as if, I mean, do you, do you feel it's the selling of the news that is now the thing that really pushes people? Yeah. So what I find interesting about you seeing that you actually follow uh, people who curate the news for you, right? I, I don't see it any differently than how newspapers used to do it or how TV used to do it. I mean, essentially, any media you consume is a curation of news, right? Even in BFM, right? Adele, when you listen to the hourly news, there are a bunch of people behind it who select and think these are the news most important. But I think to draw back to Trump, right? I think what's interesting about Trump uh, over the past many years that we've been observing him on Twitter and how popular he got was just how he spoke in a language that was simple to understand and it got to people. And he knew exactly how to press those buttons right, to make people feel emotions, they feel angry, they feel uh, agitated or annoyed or even drawn to such topics. And I think that's one thing that I find is the key of social media. Right? I mean, because social media is generated by algorithms, by views, by clicks, you need to be emotional. You need to sell people the idea that I need to feel something when I read it in order to generate uh, income for a social media platform, but also views for whoever is on that platform as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree entirely. I, I do. I mean, yeah, news is now felt. Well, I think it always has been. I mean, I did absolutely. read The Star recently, and actually it had, the Star newspaper here has that very calm kind of like, you know, we're solid people. But at the same time, each story was like, oh, my God, now I'm afraid of this. Now I hate them. And, um, but in a calm, quiet, kind of passive-aggressive kind of way. So we feel the news. I like that term. Yeah, I mean, the, the feelings are, are so important, but I think in Malaysian society, there's this kind of paternalism, you know, that evades sources of information, like the same way. Like I always try to imagine like a stereotypical Asian dad, you know, um, guilt tripping their kids into doing the stuff that they want, you know, in that calm, you know, that kind of calm manner. Oh, you know, the other day uh, I heard this boy fell inside the drain. Uh, be careful, huh, boy? You know, so this kind of, thing, you know, like that kind of, you know, like it, we get, I think, I don't know. I don't, I think we can all relate to that. Um, But yeah, I think that's a cultural tenor as well to the news that we consume. I think it's really interesting, Cam, that you've kind of, you know, completely forsaken Malaysian news <laughs> and your alg the algorithm. I mean, let's not let's not forget about the algorithms that are feeding your social media and your your media outlet as well. I mean, Cam, they know exactly what what you want to know. You know, do you get a lot of football news in your feeds as well? Uh, actually, no. I have a lot of cycling news. I follow the cycling. Okay. Uh, okay. No, uh, you know, I forsaken because I feel it too much. Right. Um, and I can't. And then I'm helpless. Yeah. Yeah. And and what do I do with that then? Where do I go? True. I think unplugging, yeah, it's, it's probably a way to go. I mean, I think the one interesting thing about social media and the internet, right, is that you feel like you constantly need to feed yourself information. Mm. But do you need all the information all the time? I mean, and how does it benefit you to know it, right? Mm. Mm. So the moral of the story is I should, what, do less? I, what? I think it's an addiction issue, Cam. I mean, I feel that. <laughs> I mean, people are in general addicted to information. And I think uh, what Azif was saying is about, it's about eyeballs, it's about attention and the attention economy. And I think they're feeding on, on our desire for, for information and emotional reactions. So yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's exactly, it's all these things. So can we, can we level ourselves up 
and kind of stand apart from that, it's going to be quite difficult. Then, then you become a ghost, right? And a social media ghost and isolate yourself. Or do you actually have a more fulfilling life? I mean, actually not plugging into news, but I mean, like yesterday, I completely plugged out of the news and my wife came home and said, like, hey, you know, the cases just went up to 11,000. I was like, huh, what? You know, then I panicked and then I had an information information get panic and I just started searching on Malaysia Kini. Oh my God, okay. You know, and I, you know, telling myself that, that not to be reactive, I'm actually a very reactive person. So I completely yeah. reacted. Oh no, we got to pick up the kids early from Tadika. We got to go now. Okay, people are going to be rushing, you know, they're going to be panic buying. Then we tuned in to KJ, you know, on Classic FM because I was waiting for it on BFM, but Classic FM had it on first because national government. I was like, oh, okay, everything's fine. All right, okay, carry on. Well, the government calmed you down. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I will move on, but I just say that I think that probably we are getting more, our bodies are receiving more dopamine hits and adrenaline hits than any previous age of humankind. I don't know what that's doing to us. So uh, we move on, and in a moment, we're, I'm, another education for me, I'm gonna, we are going to discover bullet journaling here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Adil Johan, and now Azif Azudin is going to tell us about bullet journaling. So, yeah, I mean, I got into bullet journaling, I think, a few years ago when I started getting bored of how I use my own journals. Uh, so prior to this, I would, I, I've, been use, I've been writing in journals, I think, for years now, even before, I mean, even when I was still in university, right? Writing lecture notes, uh, writing my own thoughts and reflections on the subjects I studied. Uh, but I always felt that it was, it read very boring, right? I mean, if you go through my notebooks, okay, some sketches here and there, some writings here and there. But when I stumbled upon bullet journaling, it was a very interesting way to kind of uh, approach journaling, right? But So essentially what bullet journaling is, is it's a productivity tool, but it's also a reflective tool, right? So, uh, so if you go online uh, and there is like a guide how to do bullet journaling, like the most basic steps, you basically start the journal uh, by listing out uh, the month that you're in. And then you indicate in that month, it's essentially a planner, right? It looks like a planner. It functions like one. But the difference is that you are able to customize it. You're able to inject some creativity, some some imagination uh, into it. So if you go, so on social media, especially Instagram, I follow bullet journal in accounts where people actually spend a lot of time uh, dedicating themselves to creating very beautiful looking trackers, right? So in a month, these are how many times I watched the movie. This is how many times I read a book. Um, some people use it to track their health. This is what I ate today. For women, some women use it to kind of keep track of their menstrual cycles as well and use this information that they bring to the doctors and say, oh, okay, I took, I took track, right? And I think this is interesting about modern society, right? We, we want to be the evaluators of our own, uh, our own selves. So we track our health, we track our habits, uh, and find some way to make that meaningful. And this is essentially what bullet journaling is, right? Apart from the planning aspect, um, I use it essentially to just plan my work. Uh, so I would use the dates to indicate this is someone's birthday, this is, uh, this is what I have to do today. And I think there's also a logic to bullet journaling. Uh, so if you, go on, if you go to the guide of bullet journaling, they'll say the dot would indicate a task. If you cross that task out, that means you've done it. If you X the task, that means you want to bring it forward, things like that. Uh, and I think it's... It's a very interesting thing because it's created a trend and a culture now. And there is a subculture of bullet journaling, I think, uh, a minor one that is, uh, but that's kind of like global, where people share their journals, uh, share how pretty they look, 
But I think the cool part about it is that it's very low barrier, right? It doesn't cost you anything but to just buy an empty book, uh, have some pens, and just start doodling. Yeah. Well, can I? Yeah, I'm going to ask just for clarification. So, uh, Bullet Journal is not a particular brand. It's not a book that you must purchase no. this book. It's just a piece of paper, and off you go. Yeah, it's it's a book, and off you go. I mean, uh, just to share. I mean, I have. Of course, when we talk about brands, some people have preferences, right? Just like how when you get into a hobby, you're like, oh, this paper is better. Uh, this pen works better on this paper. And I think people will go to Moleskin or people go to Letcham, for example. And it's all about preference and how you want to use, use, use this hobby for yourself, right? And essentially, like any hobby, it's about how you feel uh, it suits you best. So it works, it works for you? If it works for, for you, yeah. But it does work for you, though. It you, does work for me. Your productivity and, and clarity of thought has improved. Yeah. I think what, what helps with bullet journaling is that it allows me, it forces me actually more than allows me. It forces me to sit down and look at the day, at the month, and then imagine, okay, this is what I need to do. These are the things. And I usually take half an hour of every day just thinking about how my day looks like, how I'm going to organize it, what to expect going forward. And also because I have a habit tracker, right? So my habit tracker will indicate, okay, have I read five pages of anything today have i did i watch a movie tonight and looking back after a month i'd be like oh this is what i did today i i exercised today that's great oh i didn't exercise as much as i used to last month why mm. and because there's a timestamp to it you you begin to understand your own habits and then for me being able to understand your own habits uh how your day looks like how you organize your time is empowering to me at least because yeah. you use data right and you use that data to make yourself better uh, adil are you uh you, uh, wow. we, we, we communicated earlier. We both had to Google this before. So That's right. You're not a bullet journaler. No, this is great. I think I, it sounds, I mean, I, I mean, hats off to you as if, I mean, that sounds like it requires a lot of discipline, perseverance, consistency, which unfortunately are not traits that I'm that great at. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, it, it is something worth thinking about. I mean, but just to kind of throw a spanner in the works, you find that like, like having too many things to track doesn't that become a bit overwhelming then and you know it does it does i will admit uh so sometime last year during the pandemic i kind of dipped in really tracking stuff so and, and i think that's the best part about journaling stuff right is that because it's how you want to approach it uh so i think about for many months i actually stopped putting a tracker in my pages and just it just became a calendar uh where i just uh tracked MCO dates, right? Because I like data. Uh, so what I started doing, instead of tracking my own stuff, I started tracking other things like, okay, the MCO has lasted for this day. So X, uh, is my other journal. I could show the picture of it. But basically, if, if you look into the months of where the MCO happened, there'll be an X showing these many Xs uh, in a calendar. And, and for me, it's like, because I like data, I just start tracking other things. So I tracked, and my wife will kill me for telling you guys this, but I tracked how many times she actually went and had coffee in that day. And it's, it's, and it's interesting. It's also funny because it's like, huh, do you know that you actually consume, and it makes for great conversation starters, right? Do you know you actually drank seven cups of tea today? Then she's like, oh, I did not know that. It's an interesting insight. Yeah. You sound like you are naturally an organized person and a data hoarder. And this is just, this has just worked really well for you. It's not a system that's kind of been imposed upon you. You didn't sort of like, oh, I was a mess no, before, no. but now I'm organized. I'm a little bit organized more before, but I will admit because it's also time consuming, right? Because you're essentially sitting down and organizing kind of your entire life or your entire week. So it can be daunting. Uh, but I think if, because bullet journaling is also a bit customized, most people like to draw out 
the entire month or the entire schedule in the book, right, from scratch. Uh, but there are books, there are journals out there where it's already there. Uh, Planners, for example, is a very good way to kind of get into it without needing to take the creative aspect. And I think, essentially, I think we're all kind of doing planning in our lives in some way. Uh, whether it's on our phones, right? we have calendar apps. So in calendar apps, we place appointments, for example. Some people use uh, to-do lists. So they have their notes where they put, okay, I need to buy this. I need to do this today, uh, task forming and all that. And bullet journaling is just kind of like a, well, it's, it's an old school pen and paper way to just put all those different productivity aspects all in one place. Yeah. You are saying a whole load of words that are giving me heart palpitations <laughs> and making me hyperventilate. I I am very frightened by what you're saying. I, I think I'm, I'm an organized, uh, self-organizer phobia, phobic, if that's such a thing. I'm sure it is. Right. I, um, I'm, I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it. I mean, I did once do a, an Excel spreadsheet. I decided I'm going to, all the music that I own, I'm going to put into my Excel spreadsheet and then I'll know what year they came out and all that kind of thing. And then I'll write my novel. And uh, I did actually write my novel in the end. I didn't, oh. couldn't get, can't get it published. But uh, I mean, Congratulations the, on getting it done. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, but it's, um, it, you know, it, sometimes these things can be a way to stop you getting to the thing that you need to do. Definitely. And I think uh, it's already about keeping the end goal inside, right? I mean, some people, and I think this is why it's kind of, I, I go into bullet journaling with a strong focus of what I want to achieve. But some people, I guess, um, when they go into bullet journaling, it's not really about the end goal for them. It's also about kind of the journey, right? So if you go on Instagram, there are people who do art in their entire bullet journals, right? They will... They will do illustrations. So in January, they'll have like pictures of birds. They'll spend a lot of time painting. And I think it's also, in a weird way, it's also kind of like a reflective, uh, a space for reflection. I think uh, mindfulness, right? Yes, is what I was looking for. So some people, uh, one trend that really cropped up a lot over the past few years is this whole mindfulness painting thing where you just stop, block out everything and just like focus on what you're doing. And I think this is what bullet journaling kind of offers people who, who want to do it, right? Where, yeah, I'm going to pause my brain and just like, focus on something yeah you are both being an education to me today uh adil are you um i'm, 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 I'm looking at your room because on, on zoom we can see each other's rooms it is incredibly right. organized it is like spotless <laughs> yeah you are clearly uh it's very minimal uh but it looks nice you're 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 an organized person or is this your, your wife's work uh, I would I would have to attribute all my organization to my wife. Uh, <laughs> she picked up a stray that was highly disorganized. I mean, I'm a jazz musician by training, right? So I was trained to improvise. So I can kind of I can totally relate to that, Cam. I mean, like sometimes, you know, the, as the saying goes, going with the flow, you know, living with the moment are kind of like are kind of like mantras that some people tell themselves. But yeah, at some point, you do need to get yourself organized um i mean i feel i feel like my life can be a bit like erratic and you know and and unorganized but when it comes to my research like doing research like i, I just kind of spent a few like a morning like i like mind mapping but that's just to kind of organize my brain you know kind of organize ideas um but not necessarily my time i did try mm. I have this problem with organizational burnout where um, uh, also credit to my wife uh, for, for telling me to do a sprint. I had to get an article done in, 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 a, week, in a month. So I did this sprint organization uh, and I did the Excel and stuff like that. And I, I planned my every hour in my day to get this article done in a month. I got it done. It was great. But then I completely burnt out after that. Like I burnt out from organizing. Mm. Uh, and I, I, there's this kind of waning of organizational 
focus, I feel. So I think, I feel like it's all about finding some kind of balance between having tasks and things to get to do and also being kind to yourself. I mean, that's what I tell my students, like, like give yourself time, you know, like some people over commit as well. So I think this, this all kind of ties in with, it's not just about giving yourself too much to do. It's also about giving yourself time to not do stuff. (laughs) And and that actually, ironically, that actually involves a level of planning. That's right. That's right. Thank Mm. you. Thank you. (laughs) I no, <laughs> wish you could tell people, tell my family that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Adil's phrase. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trained to uh, improvise, guys. That's right. uh, <laughs> but as if I really admire what you're doing and I wish I, I really would do. Maybe I'll try, I'll try it, okay? But privately, no one can watch me do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's a very... Bulletining is a very, very personal thing. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, and you can do it as you please. It doesn't need to be about organizational productivity. It can just also be about, hey, I want to track uh, what movies I watched, the, what I thought about it. Oh, yeah, I mean, conversations I have. Like, if you actually look into my bullet journal, it's it's a random mix of things, right? I, I write down conversations I hear as I go out in my journal. I sketch in my journal. Uh, so it's not just about the organization as well. It's just about a space where everything goes in. I mean, in fact, I mean, I have one of it. I have one of them now, right? I have, for three years, I, I kept a journal where inside, if you looked into it, like my thoughts are there, my, my drawings are there. It's a, it's a mix of things, but with a splash of productivity of the bullet journaling. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure it looks beautiful as well. I and unintelligible so. to all other people. Unintelligible is definitely it. Yeah. 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 Oh, well done. Uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. I'll look into it. Okay. All right. I'll do it. I'll do it later. All right. Stop <laughs> bugging me. <laughs> it's it's a creative thing though right i mean like, right. i mean what i'm getting is it's a creative thing like it's an artful thing so maybe it's it's kind of like setting your mind oh, i'm not organizing i'm just i'm just gonna make some something creative yeah, i'm about drawing what I yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm freestyling yeah. guys exactly freestyling exactly yeah. okay all right I'm, I'm getting scared i can't take it anymore so i'm gonna move on uh we move on now to uh the final part of the show recommendations where we recommend something that we think might be of interest and adil is gonna go first Oh man, where do I start? Uh, do I have a limit? Of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. Okay, I I'm gonna boil it down. I exactly. I should I should bullet journal this. Um, I'm gonna recommend uh four Malaysian hip hop tracks that I would like your listeners to listen to. Number one, check out Four Spark Boys Lotus. So we're gonna go back in time. So this is the most recent hip hop track, Lotus by Four Spark Boys. Boys spelled B-O-I-S. You'll find it. Uh, next, uh, check out Mimpi, which in Malay means dream by K-Click. That's K-C-L-I-Q-U-E. K-Click. Amazing Sabah group that's killing it in the hip-hop and music industry in Malaysia. Uh, number three, check out Name Wee's, uh, one of his more recent uh, tracks from the film uh, Babi that was um, not released in Malaysia. Um, but that won many awards overseas. The, the track is called Happy Family and it has rapping in Chinese, Malay and Tamil. Yeah, so please check that out. It's a great narrative about the indoctrination that we receive in our schooling system. And the final recommendation is check out a classic track from Joe Flizzo called Satu Kali, which means one time. Uh, that's mine. I'm going to ask uh, producer Han if we can play out with one of these. Which one would you, as long as it's all nice and family friendly, because you remember you drive along with your family listening to BFM. I mean, I would say, I think happy family would be really interesting because you have three languages in one. 
but you might want to scan it for for swearing. Yeah, we say, come on, come on. Yeah, I think it's okay. <laughs> I, I think it'll be fine. And if not, I know Mimpy is, is family friendly, but they've gotten enough radio play. So, I mean, maybe play Happy Family. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Uh, okay, cool. And, and it'll be a chance for me to... Uh discover something about uh, Malaysian hip-hop. I really should. I should. I know I should. Okay, cool. So, uh, well, my recommendation, I think, is related, actually, to Adele's because I think one of the reasons why hip-hop has been able to become so popular to perform around the world is that technology has allowed it so that you can actually create your own music cheaply. Uh, you can get a beat going, and you can then play around with that beat, and then you... It's just you, really, on a computer. And there are great benefits to that. It's very democratizing and we have a super abundance of content. But one of the, for me, downsides is that um, it means that it is not economically viable to have music that is actually played on instruments by human beings. Uh, you know, in order to get a full band or session musicians, you're going to be paying them money and they up to a really high level of skill. Um, so I think that... that, that uh, certain kinds of music, I think, are going to fall by the wayside. Uh, we won't hear, because it's just not economically viable, uh, musicianship anymore. So I was thinking of something which is an opportunity to hear really great musicianship. And I think that Adil will, will know this as a jazz man himself, is the music of Steely Dan. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I've been listening to the album Aja. Oh, yes. And the it's it's the band is just two people really but they brought in session musicians great session musicians to play all the other bits and if they had that session musician in i don't like what he did let's get another one and they were just processing through and the level of musicianship musicians music played by actual human beings is incredibly high probably the highest you'll ever hear on a pop jazz album i mean jazz, pure jazz jazz maybe differently. So I, I'm just saying as an opportunity to, as a contrast perhaps, or, or, or to, to what uh, Adil was talking about, you know, put them next to each other. And because um, you're never going to hear it again. The, the, the money's not in it. You simply cannot make these things again. So uh, the music of Steely Dan, I think, is uh, worth listening to. So that's my recommendation. Um, Azif? Unfortunately, I don't have a music recommendation uh, to go out. I mean, if I were to recommend any rap artist that I love is definitely Kendrick Lamar but I think just to build just just to kind of tie in with both your recommendations about music right I work I mean if, if anyone wants to get into bullet journaling my recommendation really is buy a book I mean buy an empty notebook it doesn't uh, people for bullet journaling it's usually the dotted ones which allow you quite a degree of uh, empty canvas to work with and maybe just start cataloging your own music uh, your own music collection I think uh, we've watched High Fidelity before. I think most of us here have watched High Fidelity before uh, with John Cusack. Real lovely movie. I like it. Uh, and it's really about music. Uh, and he has an, an amazing catalog in his brain, but also he takes notes of it, right? So yeah, I mean, buy a notebook, uh, write down your music catalog year by year. You can sort it by year. You can sort it by autobiography, sort it by name. And yeah, just organize your music collection, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I, I told you about my Excel spreadsheet. I do not regret <laughs> doing that. It took me a long time. And, and all the music that I had, then I listened to in chronological uh, order. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, starting with like uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and working my way through the Beatles and everything. Yeah. And it was, it was a real education. So I see where you're going with that. And did you bullet journal that recommendation? 
Not yet. I'm in the midst of it. Uh, okay. Because what, what, what I'm doing right now, interestingly, with my music collections, actually is to actually sort out by autobiography. So music that I listened to when I was young, all the way till I'm now, and also yeah, the good. associations it had with uh, people in my life, times, mm. specific times. So yeah, I mean, in my Spotify, I actually have playlists where I listen to that are sorted out by occasions, right? So when I was in university, this was the music I listened to. When I listen to it, my brain, my emotions get transported back like 10 years ago. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, music and organization. I mean, I love organizing perhaps, which is why it works for me. Yeah, you are so organized. You frighten me. (laughs) Um, I I don't know why my heart's beating. So I really, I, everything you say frightens the hell out of me. (laughs) And I must do as you command. (laughs) I know that. So, uh, okay. So that's, um, that's. What would it in in words and quick words? Your recommendation is to just catalog your music. Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Which I've done, and I and, and I agree with that recommendation. I think it's great. Have you done it, Adil? Your collection for us must be vast. Oh man, I mean, I mean that what what Azif is saying is actually what I do for work. Like that's kind of like my research is is compiling discographies of of music and doing that on Excel sheets and writing down the dates of important songs. So hmm. yeah, I'm just, fr- I'm fresh out of a cataloging exercise of a discographical exercise on religion music. So yes, I highly recommend it. I mean, I love the, the recommendation about cataloging music based on, on you growing up, on your experiences growing up. Because when I was growing up in the 90s, I was listening to a lot of grunge and heavy metal, you know? So I had a full, a complete collection of Nirvana and Rage Against the Machine and Metallica on cassette. Mm. Um, and I would love to to retrace that on a catalog. I mean, I was just thinking also about my friend who does playlists. I think cataloging playlists on whatever platform you're using, um, um, he has a very simple system. He's a heavy metal hit. Light, medium, heavy. I like that. That might work. I don't know. if I mean, cam, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you know, organization doesn't have to be, you know, too crazy, right? It yeah. could be just little categories you like. Good. Not so good, horrible. I don't know. <laughs> mm, mm. Okay. All right. So, well, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. And thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you to our honored guests, Adil Johan. Thank you. Thank you, Cam. And Azif Azudin. Thanks, Cam. And uh, good luck with all the, I don't know, what are you going to organize next? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. Um, and myself, Cam Rustlin, and please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.